Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on, turn them to the book of Galatians chapter number five. We do uh, something here called expository preaching, meaning that we work our way slowly through books of the Bible uh, bit by bit. And so here we're coming to the end of chapter five, not by accident, but by divine appointment. Uh, We believe that um, one of the great tools that God uses to shepherd and sharpen his flock and to grow and mature his people is through the preaching and exaltation of God's word. And so we do that very slowly working our way, not from the thoughts of a man, but through the very word of God. And uh, so we're grateful for that. And so we're coming now to the height of Christian liberty and what it looks like uh, to live without legalism. Paul is really unpacking within this section, uh, verses 16 through 26. He's been talking about what it looks like, namely to walk by the Spirit, not in the flesh. We are called in verse 16 to walk by the Spirit. We are called in verse 18 to be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, to then live by the Spirit. Verse 25b, to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is making it pretty clear. He has a point. He's getting our attention. And so looking at this morning the fruit of the Spirit and taking our time to do so is all the more Important Living by the Spirit is, not a, is the only way in which that we can live outside the law and not live under the bondage of the law. At least anyone charged Paul with being an antinomianist, living with reckless abandon or living without the law, Paul says he rejects that notion altogether. This is not reckless or abandonment of a type of living. This isn't license and this isn't legalism. This is being constrained and confined to the image of Christ and living by his spirit who is now in us. And it is only in Christ that we have true freedom from the law. It's a very pivotal and familiar portion of scripture that we have here in the book of Galatians. And I think we would do ourselves a favor to slow down just a little bit. We've been walking, making really good progress thus far and coming out of the end of the chapter of verse or chapter five and really to the end of the book. There's not but about four more sermons uh, in chapter number six, and so we're almost done, if you can believe it or not, of the book of Galatians. But I don't want us to miss what is here this morning. And further, for me, it's hard, if you know me very well, it's very difficult for me to leave things uncovered. If I see something, I want to see what's under that rock and see what's really there. And so, as we looked this morning, I had full intentions to get through the fruit of the Spirit in one week, but that is not possible. And um, during my sermon prep, I simply realized there's just way too much here uh, to unpack. And in unpacking it thoroughly to do a good enough job with that to dig in, we're just simply gonna need a couple of boxes to do that. And so we're gonna take our time to walk through that. We've been, I think there has been attempts to categorize in the same way that the works of the flesh were categorized. There've been attempts to categorize the fruit of the spirit into different categories. And while I believe that can be helpful, 
I don't believe that is correct in the interpretation of the text. There is only the fruit singular of the spirit. It's a package deal, in other words. If you get one, you get them all. And there are others as well, as Paul will allude to, and that we'll unpack in this mini-series. But I think within them, so as much as we can to handle them one by one, not to separate them, and I will remind us of that as we walk through I believe the Apostle Paul views them as one, and I certainly view them as one, and so we want to remind ourselves as we go through it. But each week for the next three weeks, we're gonna have the same basic outline. Point number one will always be the contrast of the fruit, and point number two will always be the fruit of the Spirit. And while we're walking through the fruit, we will define it, we'll describe it, we'll see where it is commanded, we'll see where Christ has fulfilled it, and we have fulfilled these commands in Christ We'll see that it is only by the spirit that we have been given this fruit. It is gifted to us and we will apply it as well. And so this morning, I just wanna call our attention to three of them, love, joy, and peace. Next week, I will call our attention to patience, kindness, and goodness. And then week number three, I'll hit again on this notion of is a package deal. You don't get just give one or two, you receive all of them. It is the fruit of the spirit, singular, And the list even in itself is not complete and I'll unpack exactly what that means. But in week number three, I'll deal with faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so this morning, we're gonna look at the first three, love, joy, and peace. But if you would, out of the honor and reverence of the reading of God's word, would you stand as we read Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 24, understanding that this comes from a bigger section in scripture, namely verses 16 through 26. But Galatians 5 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together briefly. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, that Christ would be exalted, we would see him lifted up above all things, and that by your spirit you would help us to hear your word, to believe it in faith, and to apply it, to reap the fruit of the spirit within this text. It is only by your spirit that we have them. So help us now, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I wanna call your attention in the outline again, the contrast of fruit. Secondly, the fruit of the spirit. The contrast of the fruit, Paul, is coming contextually, even begins with the first word, but the fruit of the spirit. He is contrasting here from the 15 plus vice list from the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh, if you remember, was a list that was chaotic. It was perpetual in nature. It was a list of wild passions and lust. In contrast now, the fruit of the spirit is very harmonic. It's very grace-filled. It's very orderly. It's, it's that of great beauty and of holiness. This is a list not of vice, but of virtue. And it comes not from your flesh. Paul makes that very clear. It comes only from Christ and his spirit. And it is, and it can be very tempted, and I believe at times also very appropriate, as we will do this morning, to ask ourselves, maybe as you've done before, let's test and see Do I have love? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I have love. Well, 
At least I have love. Check that off the list. I think I could do better, but I, I have love. Do I have joy? Well, sometimes I have joy. I, yeah, yeah, I would say that I have joy. Whew. Check that off the list. Peace? Well, I think I have peace. I, I think I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well thus far, so sure, I, I have peace as well. Whew. Fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Well, let's keep going through this. They are fruit. I mean, you get them all together. So yeah, I have patience as well. Kindness, I'm, I'm really am a kind person, right? Goodness, well, I'm better than the next. I got them, you get the picture. Walking through them. And I believe that there is a place for that. There's a place for honest examination and evaluation of our life. I don't believe that is Paul's main intent here. I believe that he does have some intent of that, but it doesn't appear to be Paul's primary point. I would even go so far as to say that that is likely the opposite of Paul's point here. And to think for us to ask a question, we need to come to the realization of that is that Paul's aim here is not that we would treat these fruits in a way that we work to achieve them. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we bring about. It's not something that we accomplish. It's not our job. It's not your job to work on that you don't possess it. So you need to be doing them. That's the exact opposite of Paul's argument in the book of Galatians. And that is why Paul aims them and calls them fruit. He's pointing you away from yourself. And he's pointing you to Christ. It is, after all, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, and it is only for those who, verse 24, belong to Christ Jesus. One of the most striking and most obvious and practically the more forgotten difference of fruit, and we show it by speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, means that our effort is, is, is intended to bring about works to achieve them but yet it's unlike works. Fruit is not something that, that can be bore from effort. Fruit is born from an inward change becoming evident. Fruit is not something that happens because of power or exertion. Instead, it happens only through an intimate connection through a true life source. Jesus speaks of it in this way, of you being connected to the true vine. It's not something that can be manufactured or cultivated or drawn from anything other than a relationship and the transformation that Christ brings. And I think so many Christians go wrong here and I think they go wrong to think that I gotta work, 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 work to find joy, to find love, to find peace. Why can't I find peace? Ugh! You can't find peace in yourself. You can't find peace by working for it. You can only find peace through knowing Christ. And yet in another sense, every one of these fruit, here's gonna be a huge tension. Talking about the tension of the flesh and the spirit, there is a war that's going on. It cannot be achieved by human effort or exertion, but watch this, note the tension, all of them are commanded by God for us to do. Well, that sounds odd. 
And if it sounds odd to you, that's a good thing. It's a paradox that we must come to terms with, to come to grips with. We are commanded to do these things, but ultimately, if they are to come about, it will be not because of our work, but because of Christ's work within us. It's no different, beloved, from any other aspect of our salvation. You're called to be born again, commanded. You must be born again. Yet the only way anyone is born again is by the gracious work of the Lord causing us to be born again. You're commanded to believe the gospel. All men to repent and believe the gospel. Yet it is only those who the Lord regenerates and gives them faith that they repent and believe the gospel. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to call on, call on and profess Christ as Lord. We're commanded to do that. And yet, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be obedient. We're called to be obedient, yet... It is Christ who makes us obedient through his spirit. It is God who works in us, who wills and to work for his good pleasure. And even here, we are called to live by the spirit. And in doing so, it's the same way that the apostle Paul would live, namely that we live a crucified life and that Christ is living through me. Galatians 2.20. These are all commanded to love, to be joy-filled, to show long-suffering and patience, yet they can only happen through Christ, not the flesh. You can't manufacture them. You can't work to achieve them. You can only receive the fruit of the Spirit. And you can only receive the fruit of the Spirit from the one who we find fullness of joy. We can only receive love from the one who is love. We can only receive peace from the one who is peace. I'm getting a little ahead of myself this morning, but in just a moment, I will begin walking and pointing out these fruit of the spirit. But while you are looking at Galatians 5, flip over to John chapter 15. I don't wanna do this in a vacuum. And I don't wanna miss Paul's point. Namely, that these are not things that you can just muster up. They are not works of the flesh. They are fruit and only possible through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so as I point us to the fruit of the Spirit this morning, three of them, ultimately I wanna point us to our Lord and Savior because it is only through him that we will bear any fruit. Jesus said, you will bear fruit. John 15 he says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. 
and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and is burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What I would say to you this morning is that while the flesh and the fruit are different, the flesh is evident. That's not to say that the fruit is not evident. It is, but the works of the flesh, Paul says, they are evident now are the works of the flesh. That's not as easy put, I believe, to say that about fruit. It is in one sense true of fruit. Yet in another sense, fruit is most clearly seen, not because you see it, but because you taste and feel and know the characteristics of the fruit. You, you see it, it namely against the backdrop of adversity. You know that fruit is fruit, get this, when it's cut or when it's squeezed or when it's pressed. Fruit becomes to come out. I have here an orange. And I know the song, the fruit of the spirit is not an orange, right? It's not an orange. The fruit of the spirit's in the text. Yet, if I were to say to you, what is this? Say, it's an orange. It's an orange. Big deal. Yet, if I were to get out a knife and I were to cut this orange, you may, if you're close enough, you could begin to smell some of the citrus aroma from the orange. If I were strong enough and I squeeze this orange, you could see the pulp and juice coming from it. That's something so sweet you could begin to taste it. Yet fruit becomes fruit when it's squeezed. You see the characteristics, you see the quality of it. It's clearly displayed when it's cut, when it's pressed. So it is with the fruit of the Spirit. Surely no one would ever look at someone and say, that guy's a jerk. The only reason they would say that is because a particular character comes out of him. A particular posture comes out of him when he's around people. It's difficult to really know love until you see the backdrop of hatred that we see in our world. It's difficult to know joy until you've been met with a moment of true sorrow. It's difficult to know patience until we have to go without. Even self-control until we fight the urge of succumbing to something in our own passions. No wonder we always pass the test. I'm loving, I'm joyful, I'm patient. Of course I am, until adversity strikes until you're cut, until you're squeezed. And what happens is what comes, what are the deep-seated fibers of your heart that become to be exposed in that moment? What does the world see? Do they see the flesh? Or do they see an incredible, gracious filling of God's spirit that is only manifest by the graciousness of God and the giving of his spirit that the whole world sees that you are not your own. You truly are bought with a price and you belong 
to Christ. And so with that in mind, let us look now at the fruit of the Spirit. The first that we see here is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The Greek word there is the word agape. It's a love that gives. It's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that gives to others. It's not an emotion or a feeling, but it is an action of deep abiding commitment to another. It is the love of our Lord. This is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. It is the more supreme virtue, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians. And it's the greatest of these is love. Christ showed his love to the world. He loved his friends. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, John 15, 12. He has loved them in many, many ways. He's loved them by serving them. He's ministered along beside them. He's walked with them in John 13, washing their dirty feet. And he comes in John 15, one verse later in verse 13, and he says, greater love no one has known but this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus is speaking of going to the cross. He loves his friends. He loves his sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John 10, he continues to expound. He says, who is the hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus loves his sheep, John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they know me and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. He loves his friends, he loves his sheep, he loves even his enemies. God shows his love for us in this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there was Jesus on the cross laying his whole life down for the sin of the whole world, bloodied, beaten, scourged, wounded, mocked, cursed. And as we sang this morning, do you hear your mocking voice saying, crucify him, crucify him. It was my sin that held him there. And you see Jesus on the cross in Luke 23 saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is the love that God calls us to. He calls us to love in this way. He commands us to love in this way. We're to walk and love others in this way. Ephesians 5, 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to love others in the same way that we have been loved. And anyone claiming to know God yet does not demonstrate the love of God, John would say, I have a strong warning for you. You may not know God. If this is the habitual pattern of your life, not love but hatred, you should be warned if that is your posture claiming to be of Christ. The scripture that we read this morning, John chapter four, we see it in other texts in 1 John as well. Whoever says that he is in the light yet hates his brother, is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John three fifteen: everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has life abiding in him. Flip over to the book of Romans chapter number five. I'm gonna begin to pivot a little bit, but this should be your way of life, loving others. This should be your way of life because it is a way of Christ and his spirit that is working within you. And even looking at that, before we just gloss over the fruit of the spirit and say, oh yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving. We see exactly the type of love we are to portray. And if we're really honest with ourselves. We have to realize that we didn't get very far to realize we're a dismal failure. And with that, all of these will be true that you will not meet them in the flesh because they do not come from you. They only come from the supernatural working of God. Paul is writing in the book of Romans talking about the promise that is realized by faith, peace with God through faith, justified by faith in Romans 5 verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love, watch this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the flesh, no, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is, Josh, this is John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus praying that even though the world does not know the Father, he says, I know you and, I, and these that you have sent to me. I know I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known to them that the love with which that you have loved me. He says, the way that you love me is the way that I will love them and may I be in them and I in them as well. The love that the Father showed the Son will be in us and that Christ will be in us and that he be living through us. This is the way that the Christian should live. It is because the Spirit is abiding in us. And Paul is saying that by walking in his Spirit, living in his Spirit, this is the very thing that we will do. We will love. You will be marked by love. You'll be marked by the love of Christ, the aroma of Christ in everything that you do. The aroma of Christ's love radiating through his spirit, by his spirit, living in through you. To which I ask you very practically this morning, is this how you are known today, believer? Is this what people say about you? How loving he is. How loving she is. You see a need, you meet the need. You don't sweep it away. You don't dismiss it. You don't ignore it. Thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, loving your neighbor. Instead, you sow self-sacrificial love, the love of Christ as well. What do you need? Let me help. This should be the type of love that we have. If it's not, it should be, believer. This is why John would say, by all this, people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. In the midst of pain, in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of hatred, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't change. The fruit of the Spirit merely comes out. We love. Jesus says, I command you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Flip to 1 Corinthians 13. We're very quick to talk about the things of the Spirit. And so often when things happen and talk about the things of the Spirit, we speak of tongues, we speak of miracles, we speak of healings, we speak of mystery. But we'd be wrong to get very far and not see love. If we saw a critical spirit in the midst of any of those things, this is not the spirit of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not loved, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have all prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith to remove mountains, in other words, you're a spiritual person, but I have not loved, I'm nothing. If I give all I have and I deliver my body is up to be burned and I haven't loved, I'm nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never comes to an end. Prophecies will pass away and tongues, they will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Skipping down to verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You have love this morning, beloved? Two, joy. The word kara, it means joy, gladness, rejoicing, cause of joy, an occasion for rejoicing. The word is used 60 plus times, some say 70. 55 of those are denoted to a type of emotion or feeling of joy. The remaining five are denoted to the overflow or the source of joy that comes from another. Note, it is not something that is dependent upon your circumstance. We have a word for that. It's called happy. The etymology of the word happy literally means to be lucky, favored by fortune, being in an advantageous circumstance, prosperous events, turning out well. You're happy because something has happened to make you happy. It fits the occasion. You're happy. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is kara. It's a word that is regardless of circumstance, regardless of the situation, regardless of what has happened, there's joy. The word for happy literally depends on what has happened. I like it, therefore I'm happy. I don't like it, therefore I'm not happy. And there's no room in this explanation to maintain a sense of sorrow in the midst of happy. You're either happy or you're not. You're either sad or sorrowful, or you're filled with happiness. That's not true for joy. Joy is not dependent on what happens, but rooted in something that is outside of our circumstances. So, as the Apostle Paul says, we can be sorrow-filled, yet always rejoicing. We can count it, as James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various times because joy does not come from this world, but it comes from our Lord. 
and knowing him and having peace with God. So it doesn't matter what happens in this life. The only way that you maintain solid and everlasting joy is that it comes from the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we rest in the sovereignty and control, that we know that God is victorious, then we need not be sorrow-filled because Jesus has conquered death. Flip over to the gospel of John, chapter number 16. Jesus is again speaking in verse chapter 15 about abiding in the true vine, the promise of his coming spirit in chapter 16 and of his death and therefore the comfort that is coming through his spirit. Truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Note the illustration that he used of a woman giving childbirth. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she is no longer remains in anguish for the joy that the human being has been born into the world. So also you now have sorrow now, but you will, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and that no one can take your joy from you. And it doesn't matter what comes in this life, what our lot may hold in this life. Our joy will never leave, Jesus says, because our joy is not from the world, not from this world that is passing away. It is from the sovereignty and rule and reign of God. Notice what he says in verse 23 of John 16. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And despite the hardship, despite the difficulty, despite the circumstances, joy will remain. This is the joy of our Lord. Enduring his closest friends betraying him, being scourged, being flogged, even the horror of the cross, Isaiah 53, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The writer of Hebrews tells us it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus never lost his joy. Why? Because he never lost sight of the relationship that he had with his father. And the same joy that Christ has is the same joy that he gives to us as his followers, is it not? John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that, you're, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Believers are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5. And yet this joy is ultimately a gift from God. We receive joy. It's given to us through Christ. It's given to us, Romans 14, 17, joy and peace through the Holy Spirit. Is this how people would describe you this morning? Joy-filled? Not because all is well with you necessarily. Not because life is easy. Not because the circumstance went in your favor, but because life is hard. Because there may not be enough money in the account. Because not because your circumstances are good, because you have received something. 
And despite you maybe receiving the most sorrow-filled news you've ever heard before, you got the diagnosis, life has hit hard, the very thing you prayed would not happen just happened. You're squeezed, you're cut. What comes out? It doesn't mean that you can't lament. It doesn't mean that you can't grieve, but we do not grieve as those who are without hope. We grieve as those who have a hope. We grieve as one that joy would come gushing out of our lives if we were walking by the Spirit. And those who face difficulty, who are led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, know, and we can know assured that we have a calm, peaceful assurance that Jesus is Lord, he is always in control, and he has won. And that is great cause for rejoicing that everything is going to be okay. Beloved, where is your joy today? Have you lost your joy? Are you looking for your joy to be restored to you? Has the battle of sin in the flesh, has it robbed you of the joy that is found only in our Lord? Will you confess your sin? He says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Would you repent? Would you return to the Lord and the joy found in him? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. Are the fruit of the Spirit challenging you this morning? Is it challenging you this morning to see that we need to take our time, not just gloss over these things? Thirdly and quickly, peace. Arena, it literally means tranquility of the soul, freedom from worry. Some translate it, get this, resting in peace. That you're free from worry. It has a relational aspect to it as well. It means that we have peace with God and peace with fellow man as well. Similar to that of joy, it's not dependent upon our circumstances, but rest in the salvation brought through Christ. It is a peace that only comes from Christ and it is a perfect peace from God who is peace, who has no fear. You remember the story in Mark 4 and Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and the storm comes. But Jesus is in the stern, in the bottom of the boat, sleeping on the cushion And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and he rebuked the winds and the waves and the sea. And he said, peace, be still. And there was a great calm and the winds ceased. Contextually, you know the story. Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He's at rest. He's at peace in the middle of the storm. He is without fear. He's without trouble. He's without any angst in his heart because he lived and knew that circumstances wasn't depending upon happenstance. He knew that he could entrust his father. And he wakes in the middle of the night of a raging storm and with a word speaks peace and a great calm comes. We ultimately have peace because the war is over. And I mean that hostility between God and man, your sin has been removed through Christ. Ultimately, the hostility that we had because of our sin has been atoned for. Romans 5 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 says this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased as well, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. 
Turn to the book of Galatians chapter two. Paul describes the gospel as the gospel of grace in the book of Galatians, but Paul has unpacked in Galatians two the gospel of grace that we have been saved a gracious gift from God And he says, you Gentiles know and you remember, verse 12, remember that you were one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing walls of hostility by, divide, by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinance so that he might create in himself one new man of the two by making peace. So might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And because we have peace with God, we ultimately have peace in our life. And because we have peace with God, we have peace with our fellow man. And because we have peace with God and peace within ourselves and peace with our fellow man, we are not at war with our neighbor. We're called to love them. We're called to give our lives to them. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus would say. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter what comes, what happens, what, what, what comes from you should be the fruit of Peace. You know, it's an interesting passage in Matthew 26. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But Matthew 26 and verses 62 and 63, Jesus is standing before the high priest. And the high priest stood up and said, you have no answer that you have given to me. Jesus is on trial. What these men have to testify against you. And Jesus, it says in verse 63, that he remained silent. Some of your translations may put it this way. He held his peace. He didn't speak. He simply held his peace. He refrained from speaking. Despite what was taking place, Jesus had nothing to say. He kept his peace. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 23, tells us exactly why Jesus had nothing to say. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. But continue to entrusting himself. He entrusted himself to his father who judges justly. He knew his father was in control. He had nothing he needed to say. He could hold his peace and speak nothing and know that his peace would not leave. He held his peace. This is the peace of our Lord. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus says, I give to you. Not as this world gives to you, do I give it to you, but the peace that I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You're familiar with the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9, 6, that he is the prince of peace. Last passage, flip over to Philippians chapter four. This peace only comes from God and is a peace that is supernatural and is a peace that only comes through knowing Christ. Not Note this, the connection of joy, all of these fruit are connected so intricately together. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness know, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. This is a supernatural peace, believer. This is a type of peace that only comes as a gift. You can't work up this peace in your soul if you tried. Because it's not a peace that comes from your, from your flesh. It's not a peace that comes from work. It's a peace that comes from resting. And resting one's soul in the hands of their Savior. Knowing that you are your hands, your life is in his hands and this is the only way that you will have true peace. Do you have peace this morning? Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with fellow man? Or are you warring against your soul and are you restless? There's a peace this morning. There's a peace that's offered that nothing like this world can give to you in Christ. It's not bothered or threatened by circumstances. Do you have this peace today? Are you stressed? Are you worried? Are you troubled? Are you filled with dread? (laughs) Folks, if you've never known it before, know it now. This world will not let you have peace. It thrives off of your worry. It thrives off of your impulse, your craving for more and more and more. It thrives off of what's gonna happen tomorrow. What's gonna happen next year? What, uh, is it gonna get me? God's in control. God's sovereign. God gives us peace. And this world cannot give you peace. It'll promise you everything. But it cannot give you peace. And it says if you want peace, you gotta suppress your negativity and bad feelings through substance or drinking or acting out or releasing your stress. Beloved, true peace, lasting peace, surpassing peace that surpasses all understanding only comes through our Lord. I'll close this morning by quoting from Isaiah 26, verses three and four. It says, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you, who's fixed on you because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord forever, for the Lord our God is an everlasting rock. Do you believe the Lord this morning? Do you believe that you can have peace? Do you believe that God can keep you in perfect peace? In 2021, do you believe that God can keep you in perfect peace, beloved? He can. Maybe you've tried everything. Maybe you've tried literally everything to find peace and you cannot find it. I have an invitation for you this morning. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. Love, joy, and peace. The fruit of the Spirit. Is that the fruit of your life today? When you're squeezed, when you're cut, when adversity strikes, what comes out? Flesh? or fruit? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? There's only one way that you can behold fruit, and it's to receive it. It's by knowing Christ. It's the only way you can have love is to know love. The only way you can have joy is to experience his joy. 
And the only way you can have true peace is from the Prince of Peace himself. Do you know him today? How I pray you would respond in repentance and faith this morning as we close. Let's pray together. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.